But here in Luke chapter 2, probably the most famous Christmas passage uh, that, uh, that is preached from, we're going to begin reading right there in verse number 1. And uh, we won't be here too long tonight, but we're going to share a few things from the Word of God, and then we'll, we'll light this room up via candlelight, and then uh, we'll, sing a, we'll sing one more tune. But look right there again at verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, verse 6 says, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which was come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they had made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it, they wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you again for the opportunity to be here, Lord. We thank you for these good tidings that um, that these shepherds brought, that these angels brought rather to the shepherds, Lord, and these good tidings that are still applicable for us, Lord. We're so very thankful um, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, to be born of a woman, to to take on, to robe flesh, to take on our sin and take it to the cross. And, uh, and, and, and through faith, Lord, we can have eternal life by by receiving that payment that you paid for us on Calvary, Lord. We thank you so much for that, Lord. We know that all began in, the, in your heart and in your mind, Lord, because you love us so much, Lord, and we're very thankful for that. Help us to not lose sight of that this evening and tomorrow and so forth. Lord, we thank you again uh, for your Son. In his name do we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to draw your attention a couple places here this morning, or this evening, rather. Um, verse 10 tells us again that the angel said unto them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. I'd like to remind us uh, tonight, all of us, that good tidings, really, they're, they're always good, don't get me wrong, but they're only good if you hear them. They're only beneficial to the receiver. I mean, they can be the best news ever, uh, but it's only beneficial when received properly. And the only way for all people to experience the great joy that comes with these good tidings is for all people to receive these good tidings, which we talked about this morning. It's one of the things that we're supposed to be doing as a church. Um, so we need to share those good tidings. And no surprise for us this evening, considering the season, considering the passage that we're in, the good tidings 
that these angels are speaking of is found right there in verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, tidings is, of course, plural, and there's actually a couple things in here that we won't talk about, uh, but but tidings is is a group of of good things that they're sharing, a group of truths, if you will. But we're going to talk about one truth, and that's found right there again in verse number 11. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, that word tiding, it, it means message. In the Greek, it's actually really closely related to the word we have for evangelism. Um, so the good tidings are therefore like a sermon from the angels to man. Sometimes it's even translated as to preach or to evangelize or something along those lines. And in the text, we see two different responses to the preaching of these good tidings. So go back down to verse number 18 again. The Bible tells us that all they that heard it, that's those tidings we're talking about, we're going to focus on what they heard in verse 11, that the Son was born, the Savior is born. So all they that heard it wandered at those things which were told by uh, them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. A difference between wandered and pondered we have here. Now that word wander, um, it means, no surprise to us uh, probably, but it means to marvel. It means to be amazed by, like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, It means to be in admiration of. It is, if I can put it this way, it is mental stimulation. It's like, you know, amusement parts. You know, know, that word just kind of finds its sources. You know, when you put the A, muse has something to do with mental stimulation. But when you put the A in front of it, it just takes all the mental stimulation away. So amusement parks are designed to have fun with zero thinking. That's why we like them so much, right? Um, but this word here is, it speaks along those lines. It's, it's am- amazed at something that's going on. The Bible states that Mary didn't wonder at these things, but she pondered the good tidings, and, and that she kept the good tidings. She kept these things. And the word used for kept means to keep something close within. So Mary took these this message here. Now, now, granted, we know that Mary has, has received her own message, right? An angel has visited Joseph. An angel has, has visited her. She knows what's going on. If anybody, without a doubt, knew that Jesus was born of a virgin, it was Mary, right? I mean, she knows that she's given birth to a child and that she's not been with a man. So she's met with an angel before. She's heard these tidings before. But these shepherds are coming along, and they give her a, a different message or or and adding to that message, if you will. Again, look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So again, Mary took the good tidings. She took the message that she heard from the shepherds, and she kept them closely within, not in her mind. They may have began in the mind. They might have begun in the mind, but she put them in her heart. She put them in her heart. And quite frankly, I want to point out to you this evening that there is a great significance between wandering and pondering. There is a great significance between what we know and what we believe, theologically speaking or religiously or biblically speaking. You know, we don't get to heaven on what we know. Our sins are not forgiven on, based on what we know. Knowledge is good, and the Bible even talks about knowledge. Our sins, however, are forgiven on what we believe, specifically on who we believe. Eternal life is based on what and whom we believe in. 
So you could put it in, in, in one way. It's we get saved by who we know, that's Jesus Christ, but that who, that knowledge there is a, is a heart knowledge. And that's the difference here. It's, it's a difference. Wandering and pondering is the difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. You might be asking, well, what in the world is the difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge? Well, a head knowledge, as, as you would might, might imagine, it involves knowing something. It involves learning something academically from reading, writing, and arithmetic to everyday living. Learning is a part of growing. It's a part of maturing. All of us learn. We all learn as we absorb information around us. And that new knowledge that we learn mentally begins to change our perspective on things. And the Bible even talks about how important that is with the renewing of our minds there in Romans chapter 12. And that knowledge sometimes changes our perspective significantly. But when it comes to what we learn about God, it cannot stay just here. When it begins to sink down into the heart, when you and I make a leap of faith, if you will, and believe in what we cannot see, right? And what we cannot see, we believe in what we cannot know for sure, right? That's faith. That is faith. When we believe that we, in something that we cannot mentally prove, you know, we can't say, you know, two plus two equals four, and, and we believe that because we can work it out, right? We can put, you know, a couple checkers up there, and we can make sure two plus two equals four. But faith goes beyond that. Faith goes down into the heart. The head knowledge of the head knowledge that we have in Christ, what we know about Jesus and what we know about the Word of God, must be transformed into a heart knowledge. And when you and I believe in our hearts the gospel message, when we believe the good tidings that that Jesus or, or, or Luke talks about here about Jesus, we are saved. We come into the family of God. And some, a head knowledge transforms us from the outside in, but only to a certain depth. A heart knowledge transforms us from the inside out. At the core of who we are, we are made into a new creature. That is a heart knowledge. Granted, what we know or believe in our hearts began in our mind. What we know about the Bible begins in the mind. That's why it's, it's very, very important what we put in our minds, because what we put in our minds has a way of finding its way into our hearts. So what we believe and what we know in our hearts begins in the mind, but the mind can never make us into a new person. It can only reform us. It can only renew us. It cannot change the heart. Changing of hearts is God's work, and he requires faith. He requires a heart knowledge. Now, to wonder or to be amazed at the things of God is certainly a a good thing. We should be amazed at the things of God. I'm amazed at many things in the Word of God. They just still, after all these years, you know that I I love the book of Genesis, and I read through that, and I'm still going through like, wow, how how have I never seen that before? There's so many wonderful things in this Bible. So the things of God should amaze us. We should go, wow, look what God's done. But the good tidings, the gospel message, the truths of the Scripture need to go further than our minds. They need to go into our hearts. There are many people, even this Christmas, hopefully not here among us tonight, that Christianity is just here. It's just in the mind. I know this, I know that, I know this. It needs to be here. It needs to be in our hearts. The good tidings need to change who we are. And if you were to look at some of Jesus' sermons, you remember the one he talked about, I'm the bread of life? Right? He, he spoke about that, and uh, he drove 
all the disciples away from that message. You remember that, right? I mean, all of them, all, all but the 12 were there, were there at the end. And Jesus looks at them, you know, will you also go away? And, you know, I think it was Peter, probably Peter, um, who said, no, where else are we going to go? You have the truth, right? But before that, the reason they left is Jesus, or Jesus taught that to eat of the flesh of the Son of Man was to change them on the inside, right? To change who they are, much like when we, you know, if we're, if we need a lot of energy and we go eat an energy bar or whatever, and, we, and it changes some properties inside of us, that's what he's talking about here. When we just have a head knowledge, it don't change anything. But when it gets to the depths of our heart, that's where change really happens. So these good tidings, we must receive these good tidings further than just mental stimulation. Wow, God became man. God went to the cross. You know, I will say this, and then we'll move on from this. It's not enough, salvation speaking, if we leave this world, if we want to spend eternity with with Christ in heaven, worshiping God, eternal life, salvation, all the things that accompany that, it's not enough just to know that God sent His only begotten Son. It's It's not enough just to know that He lived a sinless life. It's not enough just to know that he went to the cross and died even for the the sins of the world. It's not even enough to know that he resurrected from the grave. You must believe that and receive that. There are many people who know all those things. I know a lot about George Washington, but I've never received him. You can receive Jesus Christ. Knowing a lot about the Bible doesn't bring us to heaven. Knowing a lot about these good tidings doesn't change our hearts. It's receiving these good tidings, believing, pondering them in our hearts. And this evening, as we continue, we're going to look at the most important thing at which many wandered here in this text, but Mary pondered. And we must ask ourselves again, which group are we in? Are we in the wandering group or are we in the pondering group? Are we just simply amazed at these good tidings? Do we marvel about the fact that one baby in a manger 2,000 years ago is still being talked about today? Do we just wonder about the things of God, or have we taken it to the next step? Does the things of God sound interesting, or do we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he made it into our hearts? Is the concept of Christ a mental exercise, or is it a part of who we are? And with that preface, I want you to point, I want to point out the best of what these good tidings of great joy were. Look at, again at verses 9 through 11. The angel of the Lord came upon them, that's the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So in those three verses, the angel, who, who really brought fear just by the nature of who he was, he also brought a message of joy to all people. What is that message? Very clearly, a Savior is born. A Savior was born. We are here because a Savior was born. As I was spending some time uh, in, in the Word of God prior to coming here, I'm just... The Lord just reminded me, like, you, you were meeting here today because I sent a Savior into this world. That should get us excited. A Savior was born. You know, the angels, they didn't come just to scare man. I, I think if I were an angel, maybe they would enjoy that, maybe a little bit, but maybe, who knows. But they didn't come just to scare man. They didn't come to show off their prowess. They didn't come to bring fear. They come to bring some good tidings of great joy. They came with the message of Jesus Christ. Again, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is the best message that any entity can bring to humanity. A Savior 
is been born, has been born. That's the great message even today. I mean, think about the excitement in that field. Think about the excitement, and this is something I never thought of before, but think about the excitement even among the angels, right? How exciting, because they're, they're looking forward to this time here, too. They're, they're coming to Bethlehem. Maybe they're on route. I don't really know the time schedules, and I don't know if they clock in or clock out or whatever, but they're headed to this field here, and they must have been very, very excited as well. They know who the Son of God is. They see Him in glory. They worship Him. Every day they worship Him. But for the very first time, they, too, get to see God manifested in the flesh as a helpless babe laying there needing the intervention of a mom and a dad to to carry on. The angels must have been, wow, they must have wandered as well. But notice that this verse, just verse 11 there, specifically states that a Savior is born, that that Savior is the Christ, and that that Savior is the Lord. That's going to be our three kind of out, three point outline this evening. So very clearly, we see these three truths. Number one, the Savior is born. The Savior is made of a woman. I've quoted this quite often, but Galatians four four says, "When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made of a woman." You know, you and I were also born into this world, but we are not the same. What makes this verse significant is that the Savior who was born is also God. He was made of a woman without a man. He was made of a woman without a man. The Savior is human. The Savior is eternal. He is all God. And like we mentioned this morning, the Father told the Son in Hebrews chapter 1 that heaven and earth will pass away, but you will remain. And verse 11 here, if you think about it, it would not be much of importance if the Savior who was born was not also God. I mean, he was born even on that day, maybe in every time, at that same time in the world during that time, but none of them were like this child. It is what makes this verse extremely important, that God became flesh. Again, never get over the fact that God became flesh. From an angelic perspective, again, if you want to go back to that, I think they were no doubt amazed that God became flesh. You know, if, if you look at the two different perspectives from, from a, and this is just me, I'll stand away from it a little bit over here, you know, so you know it's not the Bible, but from the human perspective and an angel, an angelic perspective. The humans, us, we want to just, if we can go back in time and we can travel, you know, like if we can quantum leap or whatever you want to call that, and we can get back and we can look at that. We will, we will run to that, we want to run to that, um, that manger and, and maybe, maybe just me, I want to see God in that manger. I'm like, well, show, show me something that he's God. Some, somewhere along the way, show me that he's God. But I think the angels had the other way around. They know God. They know he's divine. They know he's the son of God. They could rush in there and say, moving through the crowd, let me see him. I want to see him as a man. I want to see the humanity of my creator. They know that, they, that he created them. I want to see him in flesh. God became flesh. It was exciting for them. It was exciting for the shepherds. It should still be excited for us, exciting for us. So for the angels, it was not his divinity that was a new thing. It was his humanity. God became flesh. A prophecy that began way back in Genesis 3.15 when God told the serpent that he would put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. In other words, our Savior is not the natural offspring of a man and a woman coming together. No, our Savior was made of a woman supernaturally, without a man, conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
Look real quick down at verse number 34 of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Uh, now, chapter 1 is kind of a lengthy chapter, so you've got to go back pretty far. But look at verse 34. The Bible says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Friends, it is very important for us to believe that Jesus was, of course, all God, but also that he is 100% man. He is the only God-man. If we lose that fact, if Jesus wasn't one of the, all of the other, then all of the salvation story, all of the truths of that really just fall apart. He is 100% God and 100% God, uh, a man. I haven't said this in a while, so the Flanchecks will, will probably get this. They've been listening to me for a while now. God is as much man as if he were not, as, he, as if he were never God, and he's as much God as if he were never man. He is all God and all man. He is the God man. Luke 2.11, continuing on, then teaches that the Savior, if you will, teaches that God was born into humanity as our Savior, but also as our Messiah. Look at verse 11 again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, which is Christ. Now, there are certainly some similarities between the word Savior and Christ, but Luke draws a really a fine line here by stating that the Savior is Christ. The Savior is Christ. That word Messiah means anointed one, so the Savior is Messiah. Um, it means anointed one. It's where we get the word Christ from. In the Greek, it's Christos, um, but Christos and Messiah are very, very similar here. So we see here, we read that a Savior is born, which is Christ. In other words, the babe that was born of a woman... The child who was laying in that manger there was the promised Messiah, the Christ. Luke then links the birth of Christ with all of those Old Testament prophecies, which is important for Luke because you know he's not writing to the Jews, but he still links this to the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies concerning the Messiah. He is the Messiah. That title of Christ, however, or Christos, could also easily speak of his priesthood, his high priesthood between man and God. Remember that a priest is one who represents man to God. That's why God instituted the priesthood. They were to represent man to God. Now, when God became man, he took that priesthood upon himself, and then he represents man to God as a priest and just as significant also as a man that Christ fills that title. Hebrews tells us quite a bit about how Christ did that. Remember again that a priest is one who represents man to God. John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, 2 tells us that Jesus is our advocate to God the Father as a man, as one of us. He is our Messiah, our go-between. Job actually cried out, there's, no, there's nobody in between me and God. Well, Jesus is the man between Job and God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ and he became man for us. But look again at verse number 11. Luke doesn't stop there. Luke is very specific about how he writes, probably one of the most specific writers in the, uh, in the New Testament. He says again, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. 
So we see a couple things there. A Savior was born of a woman. The Savior is the Christ. And the Savior is the Lord. He's the Lord. That word Lord is master. The Savior is the master. He is Christ the Lord. That word Lord means exactly what it sounds like. Maybe we don't use that much today. I guess I've heard that if you bought land in Scotland today, you would be a lord. But I don't think that carries the same concept here. This speaks of master as he is the boss. He is the master of all things. Our obedience to the master really doesn't define him. His position defines him. Colossians 1.17 states that he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He holds all of these things together. And to Isaiah in the Old Testament, God made something very clear to him and us. So let me just read it. Let me just read it. So Isaiah 45, 22 and 23 says this. I am God, speaking to Isaiah and to the people of Israel. I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. God is telling Isaiah and the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I am the master. People will obey me. People will, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that I am God. But when we fast forward a little bit to Philippians chapter 2, in verses 10 and 11, the apostle Paul wrote that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I think we can be sure that the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Philippians, knew the Old Testament very well. He very often referred to it. Again, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, and he knew full well what he was saying here when he said that every knee shall bow to Jesus. He knew that he was writing that Jesus and God are the same. Jesus is, therefore, Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is the great I Am. Jesus is Elohim. He is the Master. He is the Savior which is Christ the Lord, God, and all that he is, lying in a manger. Lying in a manger right there. You know, writing about Colossians 2, 9, uh, writing about Jesus in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, and maybe this is something that's greater than we can understand, but it says, for in him, speaking of Jesus, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All of it. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not half, not a quarter, not three quarters. All of the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus Christ, in the manger, in the womb, on the cross, in the grave, always. And as we read about what Mary may have pondered, there is much in Jesus for us to ponder as well. There is even much for us to wonder about, to be amazed about. But again, the wonder in our minds needs to sink into our hearts. This message from the angels was the greatest message the shepherds could have ever heard. It was the message about God becoming man. This this is eternal God stepping into humanity. This is eternity choosing to be bound by time. This is the limitless life coming, uh, confining himself to the world. This is God condescending himself to humanity. That's that song we, um, that they sang this morning, you know, how many kings became a baby. I, I, I like the concept. I like the thought there. This is God 
becoming a part of his creation. You know, as we are gathered here tonight, as those who believe and who have received the Son of God as our Savior, we are reminded that God was born into humanity. This is, again, what Christmas is all about. He is the Christ. He is our Lord. The light of the candle that we will use here in a moment is really but a small representation of the light that is within us. I didn't really say this this morning. I guess I got lost in my notes, but I think about the light that's, that, that is God. I mean, greater than the sun, greater than the closest star, the farthest star, whatever you have, the most, the, the most, the brightest star that's ever been. There was a star back in the 1500s, I think it was, maybe even further back. That that was. They say that when it exploded, it outshined, outshined the sun for a portion of the day. God is brighter than that. He created all of those things, and that light is here, right here in the midst of it. The God who created the world, right here within us. What a God that we serve. That candle we have is just, it's just a small light representing so much more. Representing the light that we received. And I wanna, we're going we're gonna to light some candles here in a moment. But as we pass that light from one candle to the next, I mean, before, before you take the fire and touch it on the wick of the, on the guy next to you or the girl next to you, Think about the significance of the light you have. Even if it's only for a second or two, if it takes us an hour to light the candles, who cares? Maybe the first guy will get a new candle. But think about the light that you have and the light that's within you and what that light really means. And think about this. I'm, I'm, I'm really serious. Even if it's just 10, 15 seconds. But just ponder on that and let it sink down in your heart what the light of the world is. And then once you get a hold of that as much as we can, before you pass that fire to the wick, the next person, think about the significance of sharing that light. What it means to take the light of the world and give it to somebody else. Think about the importance and the command that follows that mindset. The light of the world. That's our Savior. A Savior is born. Praise the Lord for that. Let's, 